This episode is supported by Seedlip, the world's first distilled non-alcoholic spirit. Crafted without alcohol, sugar, or calories, Seedlip spirits solve the dilemma of what to drink when you're not drinking, whether it's for the night, the month, or forever. Because as a non-drinker, it never feels good when your only options are water, soda, or sugary mocktails. So now you can skip the booze without feeling left out when it comes to your social life. So whether you prefer punchy citrus flavors, aromatic spices, or savory herbs, Seedlip offers a drink for every type of drinker. It's crafted using bespoke process, including traditional copper distillation of botanicals. And each of Seedlip's three variants, which are Spice 94, Garden 108, and Grove 42 are alcohol-free and have their own unique flavors, which pair so perfectly with just a splash of tonic. But they can also be used to make more complex cocktails, and you'll find those in the Seedlip cocktail book or on their Instagram account at Seedlip underscore N-A. So head on over to seedlipdrinks.com or .ca and use the promo code ThisFamilyTree10 for 10% off your favorite non-alcoholic spirit. This is available in Canada and in the U.S. and now at LCBO stores all across Ontario. And again, that is seedlipdrinks.com and ThisFamilyTree10. Hello, everyone. I'm Alex and I'm here with my husband, Shane. We are so glad that you could join us for happy hour on This Family Tree podcast, episode 132. <laughs> We'll get to that later. Uh, but we have an amazing episode for you tonight. We have back joining us Brooke and Bridget, otherwise known as the Speech Sisters. And they are speech pathologists and sisters, and they are absolutely wonderful and full of knowledge. They sit down with me as I pick their.
Bravado Designs. Bravado Designs makes the best bras you can get your hands on. Yes, they do. <laughs> Shane, which ones do you like better, the everyday collection or the nursing? As long as, well, they're both comfortable. They are both so comfortable. <laughs> so I got into the nursing bras at Shane's Buy. He came home with a Bravado Designs nursing bra for me one day, and I never looked back. It was the only thing that kept my chafed nipples comfortable. Don't like them. I don't know a person who's ever liked them. The baby? <laughs> but Bravado Designs not only creates, you know, the nursing bras we've all fallen in love with because they are soft, they're comfortable, they're buttery, and they're so practical and easy to use, but they now have an everyday collection. So these are bras that look amazing under a t-shirt. They don't have clips. They're not just for nursing mothers. And they are so wearable. How do they look over a t-shirt? Over, now that is a look. It's a statement. I feel like Madonna can pull it off. Madonna, Bravado Designs, reach out to Madonna. See if she'll wear one of your bras over the shirt. Yeah, maybe give it to Miley. Yeah. She, she could do it. <laughs> but you can get the nursing bras at bravadodesigns.com or you can head to the Canadian website for access to the everyday collection. These are the ones with no clips at ca.bravadodesigns.com. And regardless of which website you go to, use the promo code thisfamilytree20 for 20% off. That is a huge bang for your buck. Again, that is bravadodesigns.com and thisfamilytree20. Good. Hey, how are you? Oh, good. For you. <laughs> I totally get that. I Same I worked thing. out. Yeah, I I worked out this morning for the first time in like three weeks, and I felt like I might die, but then I felt so good. Yeah, so I I know. No. Oh no way. God. No way. <gasps> yeah. I've had it twice as well. And yeah. And I've been vaccinated what? and boosted and I still gotten it and it's like so frustrating. Were you guys were you really sick or Okay. Oh, poor thing. What were her what were her symptoms? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Totally. I, to yes. Yes. But I think it is common with COVID in, you know, in children too, to get headaches. Yeah. Definitely. Oh, I'm so sorry. Perfect. That's amazing. Oh, that sounds so good. Oh, that's so good.
Yeah. Okay. All right, so we are Brooke. I'm Bridget. And we are the Speech Sisters, and we really are sisters. Um, and we're moms and speech pathologists. We have five kids between the two of us. We run a private practice, a speech therapy private practice here in California. And we specialize in early intervention, specifically coaching parents of late talkers and any other early intervention need. And basically wanted to take our teachings that we do with parents and all of that parent education and bring it to a digital platform to be able to reach more families and more households across the globe. Yeah. There is. So early intervention is considered birth to the age of three. Um, it is that time period um, between there. So with babies and toddlers, and it really is just such an important time in a child's development because a child's brain grows the most in the first three years of life. So if a child has a deficit in any area, you really want to get in there and, and get started on the process of helping that area by the age of three. Yeah, really at home, our whole thing is teaching parents and caregivers how to implement very simple, easy techniques into their everyday routines. So things that you are already doing with a, your child, and we like to do it in a very natural, easy way. A lot of our teachings in our courses, we use acronyms. So you can kind of just go through and you're like, okay, I remember this acronym. And you can use those secrets like and tips and tricks while you're bathing your child, while you're feeding your child, getting them dressed, all of those things that you are going to do anyways. And eventually, and pretty quickly, they become very natural to implement. You don't even need to overthink it. It's just the way that you start inter uh, interacting with your child. It's like the new way to interact with them. And it really so beneficial. If a baby or a toddler is in daycare full time and, you know, not at home with a parent, that's okay too, because more than likely they're getting their daycare is a language rich environment. But then when they come home, it's even more important to create a language language rich environment with, you know, the parents at home. And like Bridget said, during those everyday routines that you are doing, whether you are staying home with your child or you're going to work, like you are feeding them, you are putting them to bed, you are getting them in and out of a car. Like those are the times that we really want to um, focus in on and build language during those times.
mean, the more language your child hears, the more they're going to absorb. We say, talk to your baby. I mean, that's probably our and toddler. That's our number one tip, but it is also about the way that you talk to them. So there's a specific manner in which to speak to them. And it's about talking to them, but in a simplified manner, keeping things short and sweet and speaking in, you know, a slow speaking style. So you're not spitting too many words at them at once where it goes over their head. So just kind of, you know, you can say like, I'm cooking, you know, and then show them the object. It's a carrot. I'm cutting the carrot, cut, 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 you know, and you keep things very short and sweet show items as you label them. That's a really good way for your child to build their receptive language and connect the actual word to the meaning. Yeah. No, I I think you're right with that. I mean, first of all, it is so important. um, And that that voice you're you're talking about, we call it, there's many different names, but parent ease, um, mother, child, infant directed speech, you could call it baby talk, basically a higher pitch, sing songy speaking style, exaggerating speaking style. If you know, you're looking at your baby, say, I see your nose, you know, and you're really grabbing their attention going up and down with your voice. It's a little bit more fun. And I think it definitely is probably more comfortable and natural for the mother to do. I mean, in my own, like my own household, it was the same as what you just said. Like my husband was like, what are you doing? (laughs) Why are you talking like that? You know? And I'd say, you try it. And he's like, I can't do that. (laughs) Whereas my husband did that a little bit more. I think it came more naturally. And the same is true for moms. Like we've met many a moms who are like, I am not doing that. I'm sorry. It just does not feel comfortable. And we always say, you know what? You don't need to do it while other people are around. You don't need to walk through a store being like, I'm going to you know, like if I, you, you know, try it behind closed doors when you do have a baby because it can grab their attention and lead to so much more language learning.
I mean, I think it's so hard with COVID and pandemic stuff to kind of pinpoint it because you have that social piece, right? You have the parent dynamic where, you know, parents are working from home. So a child, you know, may not have that one-on-one time. You have the whole increase in screen time because parents are working, you have mask wearing. So if a, you know, the communication partner is covered up, then you can't see their face. So there's so many elements that may have impacted children within the pandemic years. So yeah, it's really hard to say, but definitely I think that the social piece can impact a child for sure. I mean, children thrive on that, whether it's going with other children or if it is going to classes with a parent. That's why I was just like stumbling over my words. I'm like, what am I saying? Cooper's like breathing in my face. Sorry. (laughs) Thank you. Yeah, they're both, you know, so we look at both receptive and expressive language. So receptive being the understanding part. And that's a really big part of language development and a very important part because if a child is not understanding language, they will not be able to verbally use language. So it's very important that a child starts to understand familiar names or objects. And maybe when you mention them, they'll look in that direction. We usually start to see that as early as, gosh, like anywhere from, you know, six, seven, eight, nine months, you know, up. It's, it's so variable from child to child. It, but yeah, I mean, you see a child developing that pretty in a solid way, anywhere between, you know, six and 10 months, I would say, but also word count, you know, looking at the number of words a child says, that's always a big one, but it's not the only one. We always tell parents, you know, don't over-focus on that. It's a good indicator to kind of like keep things in track, but there are so many other milestones in the receptive and expressive language realms. Um, But as for word count, you know, it's like at 12 months saying a few words, at 18 months saying at least 10, but we always say, say between like 10 and 50. And then around two years old, like anywhere between 50 and gosh, it can be like a few hundred, but a big one for two years old is combining two words together. We like see little ones starting to say like more milk or buy mom or just kind of starting to take two words and combine them together. That's at 24 months. Yeah, it sure does. So you can count it as a word if it is used consistently, independently, and intentionally by your child. So it doesn't, and, and it does not have to sound like the word. So many children will have these speech sound errors, which are very common as a child is developing language. And, you know, you might have a kid that says, 
duh for ball consistently, but that counts because they are calling ball something and they have a name for it. They have a label for it. Mm -hmm. So that sure does count. Also, yes, animal sounds count, um, exclamatory words or sounds like, uh oh, or, you know, whoa, or whoa. Yeah, things like that. Those all count. And signs count too. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yep. They sure Definitely. do. And that's why we would say, you know, use either, you know, you can use signs if you'd like, but you can also use gestures. You know, if, you know, whenever I say the word up, when I was teaching my little ones or if I'm working with a client, like I'm, I'm pointing up, 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 right. And pushing my hand in that upward motion down and pushing, pointing and pushing my finger down. It helps for it to click for the little one. And then they might start using that gesture. And they do say research shows that children who use gestures earlier on um, have more advanced language skills later on. So. (laughs) Right. Right. (laughs) Yes. Oh, it's great. it's great. We encourage it. We do. We encourage it. I think we do it probably too much, but that's oh, that's Cooper, guys. That's sneezy little Cooper. <laughs> oh, Cooper, Cooper has a sneezing problem. Yes. <laughs> Around 24 months, that's what we like to say, uh, or what like we what we like to see. Recently, the CDC did change their guidelines. So we have like the Mayo Clinic, a lot of speech language pathologists, and the tools and measures that we use stayed with those kind of older older uh, milestone ranges. But the CDC did move that for 50 words to 30 months. But they after the pandemic, but they still want children combining words together at 24 months, which is very interesting because it's kind of like most children are not combining words together until they have 50 words. So it's a bit misleading and tricky. Right. Exactly. Yes. That's great.
Okay. Okay. Great. Yeah, and we still kind of follow those old guidelines um, just because it's in line with the assessments and tools that we use to assess and diagnose children. But you said that Betty is 22 months, she, you know, and she still actually has a couple months before that 24-month mark, right? And I think it's really important for parents to understand that two months might seem like, oh my gosh, it's just eight weeks. That's so soon. But literally so much can happen in two months time. It really can. So um, that's the first thing I would want to say. Secondly, she's meeting the milestone when it comes to word count. So we look at them to combine the two words together and to be seeing a minimum of 50 words at 24 months. So probably by 24 months, she'll be exceeding that milestone. It's all about and, you know, we always say for parents, like if if you are concerned um, but your child, it looks like they're going to hit the milestone, but you want to be proactive. We're like, go for it. That's that's our whole jam. That's why we do what we do, because we do believe that in two months time, so much can happen and a child can really be supported during those daily routines and have a total language explosion when they're exposed and listening to the the right words and hearing the right words repeated over and over again and kind of all of those evidence-based strategies and tips and tricks. Um, it can really help. Oh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, well, I mean, first of all, <clears throat> S is a later developing sound. So the fact that she's even trying to say it and is amazing. And I would praise that. I would, I would count that, you know, that is her, her way of, of saying it right now. You just in that example that you gave, you know, just <clears throat> keep going with it. Like every night, keep doing the same thing. You want, you want me to sing? <gasps> okay. You know, point to your ear, let me hear it, you know, and then get her. And then in time, you're going to repeat that word after her. You're going to model it. You want to really exaggerate it. You're going to say, sing, you know, let her look at your mouth too. That's a big thing is, is positioning when you're talking with your child. I think we're so busy as parents nowadays that we're moving and we're fast and, you know, we're always in a rush. And I think taking those moments, if you can, of course, because obviously every moment is or every you know day is not going to allow this, but getting face to face with your child and, you know, saying, okay, let's put your shoes on and hold that shoe right near your face and say, shoe, shoe. And right. So you're saying the word, you're holding the object, you're directing attention to your mouth, you're repeating the word. 
And then we always tell parents, you know, after you repeat that word, try to put it into a short phrase or sentence. So we, we talk all about in our toddler course, which we totally are going to send to you after this. Um, yeah. Yes. <laughs> and we talk about getting your child up the language ladder. And one way to do that is by modeling and showing these words, repeating them, but then modeling the next step on the language ladder. So you might say, shoe, shoe, shoe on, shoe on, let's put your shoe on. And then you're doing it all in real time. And then if you look at that whole situation, you're like, whoa, how many times did I just say the word shoe there? Well, you probably said it like seven times. So it's, that's a great strategy. And that's just, you know, one of, of many that can really help. it could I mean it might be a little overwhelming to her but again the fact that she's picking it up and she's able to follow what you're saying and follow the direction that is all great but I think it probably would be helpful to try and simplify your language when you can and then also one other strategy that is so, so, so important, especially for little ones like her who are maybe like a little more timid, you definitely want to give her some wait time, right? So you want to slow down. And if you're asking her a question or trying to get her to repeat a word, like give her a minute, like give her maybe not a minute, a minute's a long time, but give her five to 10 seconds, five to 10 seconds before you try it again, you know, because when we are desperate for our little ones to talk, the more we, it, we talk more, we actually, and we, we put the pressure on them without knowing or realizing it. And that can make it, that can make them really pull back and not want to, to talk as much. We always say that the goal is to minimize talking pressure. So when we put talking pressure on our little ones, and I think this is so natural for many parents, like we want our kids to talk so bad. We're like, say mama, say mama, you know, but that for some kids can deter them from talking. So instead we just tell parents like repeat the word in a fun way, but one way to work on the wait time, you know, obviously you can ask the question, like, what does the horse say? And like, did you see how long that felt? Like that felt really long. And that was probably only five seconds. I barely, I think it was like three. That pause felt like a long time. So you can do it with questions, right? But another way, a really good tip is one of our strategies from our talk on track course, which is our our course for younger 
parents for younger babies uh, is to get them to fill in the blank. And we can do this with familiar books or familiar songs or familiar phrases. So one book, I don't know if you guys have the book like Dear Zoo. Do you know that book? So that it's a cute little flat book and they go to the zoo when they get a pet and each page you say, and I didn't want the elephant. So I sent him back and you can shut the door on the elephant. And it says, and I got the monkey and I sent him back and kids love it. Cause you get to slam the door and yell the word back. And most children, because the word back is a very simple word. It's a, you know, consonant vowel consonant word. doesn't have a lot of sounds. They're really developing. Um, a lot of times, Kids are just motivated to fill it in. So you can say, I went to the zoo and I didn't want the elephant. So I sent him. And then you're like waiting and you're holding the book and you're leaning in and your little, your little one's probably going to be like, back, you know, and they want to do it. Or at least they'll hit the door and you're like, back. Yay. You're right. You hit the door. So that's a good way to start. Another way is with songs like Ring Around the Rosie, let's just say. And then at the end, you say, we all fall down, you know, and you can wait before you say down, you sing that song a million times with your kid. And then you're like, we all fall. And you're pointing. You're not saying anything. And your little one's going to either fall down or they're going to say, da. Um, it's just kind of motivating for yeah. them. And then phrases. Phrases. Yeah. Just familiar phrases. Like every time you open a door, say, open the door and you're going to say it you know, initially, and then you, then you leave that last word off, open the, and then they say door, you know, and then you can go open and then they'll go the door and they fill in the two word, you know, uh -huh. so it's a really good strategy. It's kind of like tricking them into talking and it works. So, okay, I'll say that typically there are two types of children or toddlers, babies, those that are imitators and those that are not. So the ones that are imitators, you could tell them to say every word out there and they will repeat you, right? They just, they want to be a parrot. That's very natural to them. They don't feel pressure at all. But then you have the other half of children who aren't repeaters. They're naturally, they're not just going to repeat you. And for those children, when you're constantly saying, say mama, say ball, say this, say that, say dog, you know, they're like, whoa, too much. This does not come naturally or easily to me, or I just don't really feel like doing this. And then the pressure will make them retract and pull back even more. So that is one way that there could be talking pressure. Mm -hmm. Another way is like when we're, let's say we're sitting down to play with our kids and you know, I always, my little one will go and gravitate toward, I don't know, let's say the kitchen, but let's say mm -hmm. I'm in the mood to do stacking blocks and I go over and I'm stacking the blocks and I'm like, look, look over here, up, 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 look over here. And she's cooking at the kitchen. She's like, I don't want to do that. I picked the kitchen and mom, you're kind of being annoying right now. You know, in her head, that's probably what she's thinking. That's not like a good place to put pressure on them. Like they're probably not going to want to say the word up right there. The best thing to do is to kind of go with them, let them lead the way, follow their lead and incorporate language into an activity that they're it, uh, of their choice.
We are supported by True Earth. If you listen to our podcast, you know that Shane and I have been championing True Earth for almost a year now. We are the champions because we've been using them and it's been a huge way in which we have been reducing our environmental footprint. All right. I know. Well, I was, you know, I just, I just, <laughs> no, I did. I was going to call you Freddie Mercury, but then I forgot his name. But one way we're doing this, Freddie, is through, of course, eliminating single use plastics in our household. And we were not only using way too many uh, plastic bags, but we were using way too many bottles of things bottles of detergent, a fabric softener, everything. And our laundry room was kind of like, a detergent bottle graveyard. But since using True Earth, our laundry room has gone through a bit of a makeover. It's amazing. It is because the detergent itself comes in these strips. They're pre-measured, they're soluble, and you just simply rip them apart, toss them in the machine, makes your clothes clean, smell amazing. And then because there's these little papery looking strips they come in a tiny little box it's flat you can just hide it in your laundry room somewhere and it's out of the way your shelves are now free for other things <laughs> i like it there is no plastic packaging attached to this product and it really has changed the look of our laundry room plus as a family with kids who have very sensitive skin we usually go for the baby detergent because it's fragrance free it's gentle on everybody's skin and it's still so tough on dirt. However, True Earth came out with a new scent, Lilac Breeze, which Shane is obsessed with. And it smells great. <laughs> and everything really does just come out beautifully. So go and check out True Earth Detergent at true.earth and use the promo code thisfamilytree10 to get 10% off your order, your subscription, whatever it is you're getting. You're going to love this product. Take my word for it. Again, that is true.earth and thisfamilytree10. Sure. So funny you ask, because we are preparing right now for a, a workshop that we're hosting called Solving Screen Time Struggles. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. and it's all about, you know, just kind of a better approach to screen time being that it is in a way, you know, you can't avoid it or most people, many people can't avoid it. It's, it's hard. hard to avoid, it hard. Um, but I think that like screen time is guilt time for most parents. Yeah. Like yeah. even if you do use screen time, it's guilt time. So how can you use screen time intentionally and my, in a mindful way with your child? How can you use screen time and still, you know, have the intention of, of building your child's language or supporting their language development? And um, there are ways to do that. I mean, of course, like you said, like putting on music, like you know, a little baby bum or something like that. If you're just doing that, obviously something like that is going to be better and like letting them have independent play. If a child will, that's great. Go for it. But if a child is going to have that screen time, 
there, we always say there's certain screens that are better than others. So we say the bigger, the better, you know, TV on the wall, a larger TV on the wall is much bigger than a handheld device, you know, right? Like, or phone. Right. Like rather than giving them your phone or iPad every day, like it's better to just turn a, a TV show on that's, yeah. you know, a mounted TV. And then you mentioned active viewing. So you're right about that. So something that gets them involved, gets them thinking. Um, one of the big things with children under, let's say, three years old, even, uh, we talk a lot about co-viewing with them, which defeats the purpose of you trying to make dinner or, you know, empty the dishwasher or whatever, right? Right. Uh, Exactly. So what we, what we say is that maybe those first few times you're watching a particular show, you are going to watch it with your child. And so those shows, typically the shows that are high quality are pretty repetitive and, um, follow a similar like structure each time. So for example, uh, is Mickey Mouse Clubhouse even on anymore? No, no I'm totally. Exactly. Yes. So where they ask questions, you have to, can you find the, right? So sit and watch that with your little one. Maybe, I don't know, however many times it takes till you feel like they kind of understand and maybe they can start to interact with the show on their own. And then after that fourth or fifth time of watching it with them, then take that time to go do what you need to do. Um, and, and they'll be more inclined to interact with the show on their own because they'll know what to expect. So that's called co-viewing. And that's a big. Yeah. And the a- other thing with co-viewing, too, is, you know, my little one, Stella, she's three now, but she when she was two, she loved Peppa. So we would, you know, watch a Peppa show together. And then she had all the characters and the Peppa houses. And we would take like watch an episode and then later that day or even the next day or whenever that week, I would say, okay, let's pretend like, you know, daddy pig lost his glasses and we would literally act the episode out. And it's so helpful because as a parent, sometimes many parents sit down and they're like, I don't know what to pretend play. Like I've been pretend played in like 35 years. So it's very helpful because it gives you ideas of things that you can do with your child's favorite characters. And then you can generalize that even into your everyday life. You can be like, I lost my glasses because I do lose my glasses all the time. Um, (laughs) You know, like bring it into your own life and say like, oh, silly mommy. I'm just like daddy pig. Where could they be? Let's go looking for them. Like you can bridge the gap and make a program actually generalize into real life and language learning and all that.
So it, communication frustration is, is number one, very common, but really it is just frustration that children feel around communication for whatever reason it might be. Most of the time it's because they are unable to communicate their wants and needs. And for a variety of different reasons, maybe they don't have the words, maybe they, you know, a lot of times it's around articulation. So they might trying to say the words, but no one understands them that we see that a lot too. Or our nonverbal kiddos. Exactly. Or like you said, with the stammering or stuttering, sometimes kiddos at certain ages, it's developmentally appropriate and it happens a lot. And they just have so much they want to say that they can't, they get, they kind of trip up on their words and they can't get it out. They get stuck in a way. Um, so yes, all of those situations will lead to, or can lead to communication frustration. And, you know, it's kind of like for each one, you kind of have to take a different approach. I mean, for with the stuttering or the stammering, the best thing to do in that situation is to slow down. And especially you as a parent, I mean, each child is a little bit different, but if your child some kids want the help and you can help them out and give them some of the words. Um, but other kids are like, get mad at that. And they're like, no, no, no. You know, and, and in that case, you can just remind them like, it's okay. Let's try that again. Let's slow down, you know, try it again, that kind of a thing. Um, and then with our little ones, where if they are late to talk or just like not finding the words, even if they do have words, like you mentioned, you know, Betty has words, but she she may not be used to using the words to help her get through these situations, right? That's a pattern that we see with a lot of children. Like they just resort to a tantrum because they, it's in a way, it's a learned behavior. And so it's really important to get down on her level and give her the words for how she's feeling or give her the words for what she wants. Yeah. Um, we always say, say it like they would if they could. Right. And have her show you. And then, you know, if you don't know what she wants, which is often an issue, we say, like, show me, you know, can you show me? You could pick her up, have her guide you to it. Um, you could give a choice. Like, if you think maybe she wants something that, you know, you could show her options. Or sometimes we really just don't know, right? I mean, we really just don't know. And 